Each year, as Christmas draws near, there is something special in the air. We all feel it. From the decorations and carols, warm drinks and cozy slippers, it's as if the season taps into a holy longing deeply ingrained within us. You see, this season stirs up within our souls a burning desire we were created to crave. The advent of our King, the arrival of our Savior, our God come near. All of our lives we've experienced the curse of the fall, the shadow that sin cast upon this wounded world. But with the arrival of Jesus, hope came down, love drew near, our King came to conquer. Death will be no more. Shame will be undone. For with the advent of Jesus, the curse is broken. Oh, good morning. How are we doing, Rise City Church? Oh, take that, Zach. It's pretty good. Hey, grab a Bible. Hebrews chapter 10. We are walking through our Advent series, looking at the arrival of Christ. And it's a series called The Curse is Broken. And it's understanding how when Jesus came, he changed everything. You see, for humanity, the moment we turned away from God, it's known as the fall. And we turned inward and we trusted ourselves instead of God's goodness. And it's left a curse on all of life. And one of the greatest fallouts of the curse was this disconnect of relationship that we had with God between humanity and creator. I mean, even imagine, picture with me what that was like for Adam and Eve. They were walking in God's presence. Like they were in the garden with him. And then they turn inward and they trust themselves. And there's this massive disconnect. And the truth is, we have been experiencing this fallout ever since. This is why we long to feel this closeness to our creator, but yet we just feel this barrier. Uh, Maybe we carry guilt over what we've done. And so we go to sit and pray, or we come to church, but we have this weight and this guilt that is over us because we're just consumed by it. For some of us, the fallout of the fall Uh, is experienced in our families of origin. And so it's actually hard for us to engage in relationship with others um, and and to draw near to God's presence because um, what what we experienced growing up was a break in our connection with a parent or a father figure that was unsafe. Or for others, it's just, man, we don't understand the significance of the cost that was paid. We don't understand God's holiness and what it means to and how we can actually enter into his presence. And so what we're going to look at today is understanding that when Jesus came, he came to break the curse of disconnection and separation, that we actually can enter into his presence. So uh, let's grab our Bibles and let's look at Hebrews uh, chapter 10 together. And we're going to see how the life and death of Jesus, it began to thaw the frozen state of the human heart, melting the stronghold that Satan had upon this world. Hebrews 10, starting in verse 19, it says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest, 
over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with a full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Okay, we read this, and it just seems like wonderful, right? It seems beautiful. There's all these metaphors, but we don't quite understand all the depth of things that are happening. Like, he's talking about blood and most holy place and sprinkled clean and curtains and things like that. And there are these pictures, these metaphors for us to actually understand our relationship with Jesus. So to understand this, what we need to do is we actually, we need to understand the old covenant. And, and what I want you to see is the old covenant is a shadow of the good things to come in Jesus, a shadow of what we can actually have in Christ, okay? And so when you open your Bible, there, there's, there's two sections, right? There's the Old Testament, and then there's the New Testament. And the Old Testament is all about this group of people and their relationship with, with God, the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, and it's all pointing forward to Jesus. The only proper way to interpret and understand the Old Testament is asking yourself, what is this teaching me about Jesus? How is it pointing forward to Jesus? And then you get to the New Testament, and it's all looking back and understanding how Jesus changes everything, okay? And so after Adam and Eve, after they were sent out from the garden, God continued to pursue relationship with his people. And the primary way he did this was through a covenant people, a people of promise known as the Hebrew people or the Jews. And they had three types of leaders in the Old Testament. They had prophets and they had priests and they had kings, okay? So prophets, they had a special relationship with God in which he spoke to them directly in order to teach the people how to have relationship with him. And then there was priests. And the priests, what they, they, they played a role, they acted as a mediator between God and men. Okay, And so the way we had connection, relationship with God was, was actually through these priests. And then the kings, the rulers of the day, they, they ruled on behalf of God as this, as this monarchy and rule. Okay, So when you read in the Old Testament about uh, like King David or King Solomon or King Saul, those were the kings. Okay, Now, here's what I need you to understand, that Jesus, all of these are pointing forward to Jesus. Okay, Jesus is the, in the Old Testament, there, you could only play one or two of these roles. So like David, he was a king, but he was also a prophet, right? So he wrote the book of Psalms, um, but he was not a priest. And so, but Jesus comes along and we learn that he is our prophet, he is our priest, and he's our king. He is our direct line to God. He is our great high priest for all eternity. He is the king of kings over the kingdom, okay? But that's just a snippet of life-changing theology for another day, okay? We don't have time for that. But what, what we need to understand is initially all these commandments and the Old Testament were given to a man named Moses, right? And he wrote the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, known as the Torah, okay? Uh, we translate it often uh, the law, but really the proper translation for the Torah is like teaching because it's explaining how do we have relationship with God. Now, if you've ever uh, come January, you're like, oh man, I'm reading through my Bible this year, right? And so you start reading through and uh, you start with Genesis and you're like, this feels inappropriate, 
Like, there's so many crazy stories in here, like what is happening, all the ins and outs. You get to Exodus, you're like, I can vibe with that, okay? I, I saw Charlton Heston let my people go, you know, the spreading of the sea, like, I'm with it. And then you get to Leviticus, and you're like, I'm done. Like, this, like all these laws and blood and animals and sacrificial system, and there's just all these layers to things that are happening, and you don't understand. Well, I want us to understand that today, okay? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the Old Testament sacrificial system, the tabernacle, and the temple, okay? There's nothing quite like a feel-good Christmas series built around the book of Leviticus. You ready for it? Okay. Okay. So here's what I want you to see, okay? So this is, the, this is what, what was the tabernacle. Now, a Originally, under Moses, they, they left Egypt, and they were a nomadic people, so they're traveling around. So it was this tent that would be set up. Later on, this tabernacle kind of had the same layout, but it would become the temple under Solomon when they actually got into the promised land of Israel. But I want you to see these symbols and layouts that are very, that are very similar, okay? So here, here's like an overview uh, of, the, of this um, of this tabernacle or this temple, okay? So you have, first you have this outer courtyard. It's 150 feet uh, by 75 feet. And, and it symbolized, no, it is separate from all the rest of humanity. It's actually, um, this is meant to even be a symbol and picture of the Garden of Eden, okay? And so you'd enter in the courtyard and then there was these different elements. The first thing you came to was the bronze altar where they would sacrifice animals, bulls, goats, Sheep. This is where a sacrifice was made on behalf of their sins. And then they would go a little bit further. And the priests, the high priests, were the only ones who could enter into the holy place. But what they had to do is they had to wash their hands and have their and wash their feet. Otherwise, they would die because they were unclean. Okay. So it's not. Don't think like COVID protocol. Think just like uncleanliness before God. Okay. So then they would, then they would enter in to this tabernacle. And there's a few different elements in the tabernacle. First, uh, at the bottom, we see the seven branches uh, of a lampstand. Think of a, like a, a menorah, but like a giant version of it. And it represented the tree of life. And it was a reminder of the presence of God in the midst of his people. It was also a symbol of the light and the goodness of God, which dispels the darkness and evil in the world. The seven branches of the lampstand, they were also seen as representing the seven days of creation or the sevenfold perfection of God. So all these symbols have deep meaning. Uh, you'd go up to the table, the table of the showbread, and on this table uh, were, were 12 loaves of bread. And what did that symbolize? It symbolized a couple things. One, it symbolized the, that God's covenant with the 12 tribes of Israel. And it symbolized how God is our sustainer and he is our provider of all things. And so this was this offering. And um, every week they would put out fresh bread, and then the priest uh, would eat the old bread, this old stale loaves, hashtag pastor perks, right? Okay, so uh, then you would go a little bit further, and uh, you'd go to the altar of incense. And every morning and every evening, the priest would burn incense on the altar as a way of offering this pleasing aroma up to God, and it would fill the whole tabernacle, or it would fill the whole temple, and so you'd walk in, and, and there would just be this incense and this smoke filled in, and it was also this symbol of the sweet, fragrant smoke picture of our prayers of the people ascending to God, but all of this is moving us towards the, the most holy, sacred place in the temple, or the tabernacle, which was known as the Holy of Holies. 
And the Holy of Holies, actually, that's where they placed the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant had, had the tablets in which God's law was written, and they would carry it with them from place to place to place, and they would place it in the Holy of Holies. Now, the Holy of Holies, it was separated from the rest of the temple or the tabernacle because this is where God's presence dwelt. Now, now again, all of these, all of these symbols are pointing to what? That God wants to dwell with us. He wants to be present with us. But we have to understand that God is holy. And so this veil, it was this huge, heavy drape made of fine linen, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn. And it was embroiled with these gold cherubim, right? And so it was, we don't know exactly quite how large it was, um, but, you know, historically it tells us um, that it was probably about 60 feet high. For context, uh, the bottom of these beams in here, about 14 feet, uh, the, t- the, the ceiling, uh, the roof of this is about 20 feet, okay? So it's about like three skating rinks high, okay, right? That, that's how high this veil, this curtain is, and it's three inches thick. It's massive. And, and the reason it existed was because if anyone entered the Holy of Holies, they would die immediately because you cannot enter the presence of God. Why? Because God is holy. This is a word we hear and we don't always understand it. God is holy. And so we think of this word holy, we often think of somebody who's like morally good, um, which is like partially true. But really, the idea of holiness, it speaks to the utter uniqueness of God. He is unlike anything else. God is the only one, the only person capable of creating a world filled with such beauty and life. And so all of this makes God utterly unique. He is perfectly good, powerful, loving. He is completely separate from anything that is vile or evil or sinful or unclean. Like, just for, for a second, just think with me. What is like the most beautiful thing you've ever experienced in this life? A sunset or a stars or holding a child. What, what is it? Uh, this summer, my wife and I and our kids, we went camping at Lost Lake on the other side of Mount Hood. And uh, we reached nighttime and we're, and we're out on the water and we're just watching the sunset. And I mean, it was, it was breathtaking. The entire sky was this mix of purple and orange. And there was this couple behind us and they had these like big cameras and they're taking these pictures. And uh, we just asked, like, you could just kind of hear them, like, ooh and ah, and make, you know, make these sounds. And we asked, where are you guys from? And they just go, I don't know how we're here right now. We're from Texas. What is this? <laughs> right? I'm just God's country, <laughs> you know, Oregon. <laughs> but, man, I just sat there, and it just took my breath away. God made that in an instant. He is, so, he is so unlike anything else. God is holy. He is powerful. He is, this is what holiness means. There's, there's kind of two la- layers or levels to this idea of God's holiness. First, God is completely set apart. He is different from what? From evil. He cannot do evil. God is holy, meaning he cannot do wrong. He cannot do evil. He cannot be unloving. He cannot be unjust. He is holy. There is no part, listen to me, you do not, 
we cannot question the goodness of God. He is just so far above all else. He is incapable of doing evil. Because why? Because he's holy. This is who he is. Listen, any human being, I don't care how, they, how good they are, they can be questioned. They, they, they can. Like, people who can't be questioned end up doing questionable things, right? And no matter how, how high and mighty, righteous, there's always exceptions. Like, for me, like, I, you know what I can't stand? I can't stand when my kids are, like, somewhere far off in the house, and they're, like, yelling for mom. You know what I'm saying? Like, mom, like, answer this question. You can't hear her. Like, it's just, like it, dri- it just drives me bonkers. Or, like, somebody pulls up to a house, and, uh, you know, uh, and, and rather than having, you know, going in and getting the person, they just start, like, they honk so that person will come out, right? Like, if somebody ever comes to pick up my daughter for a date, and they pull up in my driveway and they honk, they will not be going on a date with my daughter. They will be going on a date with me that night. She will know that, and they will know that, right? And so a, a few months ago, my son, he's downstairs, and he's yelling. He's like, Mom, Mom, and he's saying something you can't understand him. And so I immediately get up, and I'm like, I'm feeling heated. I'm like, Dax, you do not yell at your mom. You come into the room. You ask her your question politely. And he goes, but I need toilet paper. <laughs> That's the exception. I'll be right there, buddy, right? There's always an exception, okay? There is. But not with God. Who are you to, I don't, I don't, I don't know what you've been through. I don't know what you face. I don't know what questions you have. But listen to me. God is holy. He is set apart from evil. He is set apart from wrongdoing. He is worthy of our trust and our worship. He is worthy of all glory. Here's the second thing that holy means. He is completely dedicated to himself. God is holy, meaning God is always his true nature. He is completely dedicated to his glory. He is never not God. He is always loving, he is always good, he is always worthy, he is always righteous. God is holy means that God is set apart from all else and he's completely dedicated, he is always his full nature. William Farley puts it like this, holiness is a fundamental attribute, meaning a foundational attribute, meaning everything else about God is built on his holiness. It is the most important thing to know about God. It is where we start with God. His holiness defines all other attributes. Day and night, those closest to him, the cherubim and seraphim cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Everything about God is holy. What that means is that his holiness is what defines his love. He is always loving. He is always Righteous. He is completely dedicated to himself. You could put it like this. To say that God is holy is to say that God is both always and never. God is always good and he is never evil. He is always love and he is never hate. He is always powerful and he is never weak. He is always present and he's never absent. He's always light and he's never dark. He is always God and he is never not God. That's what it means by God's holiness. And those who actually see him, what do they do? They, stand, they fall on their face and worship and they just repeat over and over and over, holy, holy, holy. To say that God could no longer be holy would be to say that God could no longer be God. And so 
we read about this tabernacle, we read about this temple, and the whole point of it is to point to God's holiness. That God is what? He's separate from all evil. Meaning there's these layers blocking evil and sin and brokenness and darkness and uncleanliness from God's presence. And at the same time, it's completely dedicated to him. Every single element is about his worship. The incense is to speak to how he hears the prayers of his people. The basin is to point to how he washes us clean. The bread is to point to how he is our ultimate provider. The lampstand points to his life. Do you see this? That holiness is about God is completely removed from all sin and evil and brokenness. And God is completely dedicated to his nature and himself. Tim Mack uses this metaphor of the sun. That in some ways you could say that the sun is holy, right? It's like nothing else in our solar system. And in fact, the sun is the source of all warmth. It's the source of all heat that we have. Uh, it's the source of all energy. And if this, the sun was to go out, uh, life itself would cease. And so it's holy. You could say that the sun is holy. But the very power and goodness that generates all this life is also extremely dangerous. Like if you were to draw close to the sun, uh, you would be utterly destroyed. This is a, a, this picture and symbol of God's holiness. This is both gloriously wonderful and terrifyingly dangerous at the same time. And what we learn through this Old Testament sacrificial system, through the tabernacle and temple, is that the unclean could not survive the presence of God's holiness. We can't enter in. If a human, a sinful human was to enter into the presence of God, while sinful and unrighteous and unclean, it would mean instant death. Kind of, again, like drawing back to the sun. This is why bacteria cannot survive the ultraviolet rays of the sun. That's why people say the sun, sunlight is the best disinfectant. Because bacteria can't survive in the rays of sun and sin cannot survive in the presence of God's holiness. Um, we say this thing, and we're off about it. It's, it's a misinterpretation of an Old Testament passage. that We say God cannot be in the presence of sin. But it's not that God can't be in the presence of sin. It's that sin can't be in the presence of God. Because he's holy and righteous. Jeremy Myers puts it like this. He says, sin cannot be in the presence of God because whenever God draws near to sin, the raging inferno of his love and holiness washes all sin away. God can no more be tainted by sin than the ocean can be dyed red with a single drop of food coloring. Sin crushes, enslaves, and destroys humanity, but it vanishes away into nothingness at the smallest touch of God's blazing holiness. This is what it means that God is holy. And so why couldn't people just come in and access God's presence? It's because of the sin in our life. Because we are cursed. We are sinful. We are unclean. And if we are sinful and sin is destroyed in God's holy presence, then to enter God's presence would result in instant death. And this is what would happen. And so we start reading through this Old Testament and we come across this strange 
bizarre, weird book of sacrificial loss. And we ask why. Let me tell you why. It's because if we were created to be with God in his presence forever, and we are separated by our sin, man, then there has to be a way to come clean again. Otherwise, life doesn't matter. And God points us to that way. And it sounds kind of crazy. You know what it is? Blood. Um, blood. Now, if you grew up in church, you're kind of used to this metaphor. You're like, oh yeah, like we sing about the blood. But like imagine with me, um, and some of you don't have to imagine, but like walking into the first church for the first time as an adult, and like, why do they keep talking about blood? Like, hey, you know, after the service, you know, now we enter a time of worship, you can go drink the blood in the back. You're like, what are you talking about, right? We sing about the blood, we talk about the blood. Well, blood, it's this symbol that points to death and life. See, the curse, the cost of the curse is ultimately death. And the only way to have a renewed and restored relationship with God was through the price of the curse being paid. And if God is holy, then not only is he just, but he is always just. And he's not gonna just cease being just because he's holy. And so there is a price that has to be paid for sin and curse. And you know what it is? It's death. And so we read through this Old Testament sacrificial system, and what is it pointing us to? Understanding that death has to pay for life. And so once a year, there was a day where the priest could actually enter into the Holy of Holies. It was called the Day of Atonement. And what would happen is the priest would slaughter a bull. He'd take its blood, and that blood would pay for the price of his sins and his people's sins, and he would cleanse himself. And he would take two goats. One of them, he would lay his hand on this goat, and he would symbolically take all of the community's sin and lay it on this goat, and that goat would be sent out into the wilderness. It's known as a scapegoat. And the other goat, this innocent animal, would also be slaughtered and killed. And the blood of this goat would be spread upon the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies. And this, this blood allowed this priest to enter into the presence of God. Um, there's this passage that it tells us that the priest, when they would enter and they would have these bells around the fringes of their garment. Um, and, and rumor and history tells us that they would actually tie a rope around the high priest. Because if the priest would enter into the Holy of Holies, the presence of God, and he was not properly his sin was not properly atoned for and he was not properly made clean, you know what would happen? Uh, he would just drop dead, right? And so after, probably after a few tries, they were like, well, how do we get him out, right? Carl, go get him, you know, like that didn't work, you know? And so they decided like, we'll tie a rope around. So if he drops dead, you can pull him out, like, right? And then all right, next year, all right, go get him, Russell. Like, you're, you're up next, like, you know? Like, so it was this process, but it all is pointing to the holiness of God. Now, are, are you tracking with this? That the only way for this priest to enter into the presence of God 
was through this blood, was through this sacrifice. And this all is a giant foreshadowing of the arrival of Jesus. It's pointing us towards Jesus that through his blood that he would make a way for us to enter into the presence of God. And so all of the Old Testament is looking forward to Christ. And then you open with Matthew 1. And you see Jesus. And you get to the end of Matthew and you're reading about the death of Christ upon the cross. And you're reading chapter 27. And you, may nor- you might just skip past this, not, might, may not think much about it if you don't understand this Old Testament sacrificial system and this veil and this curtain and the Holy of Holies and the temple and the tabernacle. But if you understand, this is life-changing when you read it. It says, and when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. Jesus dies. And at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. What is happening in that moment? Jesus is saying, I have made a way for you to enter into the presence of God. You can experience his goodness and his holiness and his righteousness. This is this powerful moment in human history because the blood of Jesus has given us access to God's holy presence. This is why we celebrate at Advent. This is what we gather around to worship, that Jesus has allowed us access to God and his holiness. And so you're reading Hebrews 10, and you read the intro to Hebrews 10. This is what it says. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming. It's looking forward to what Jesus would do, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never by the same sacrifices repeatedly, endlessly, year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. It's saying, hey, this Old Testament sacrificial system, it's gonna fall short. You can't just do it year after year after year. But when Jesus came into the world, he said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. And what is that will? To make a way for us to have relationship with this holy, righteous, perfect, loving God, and we can enter into his presence. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. You understand it differently. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. See, Jesus makes you holy when you put your faith upon him because he is the ultimate sacrifice. All of this, all of this symbolism, what's it doing? It's pointing us forward to Jesus. That his blood was a sacrifice that washed you clean and made you holy so that you can enter into the presence of God. And that you are not eviscerated and destroyed. You are seen as pure and spotless, washed clean of all unrighteousness. Isn't this incredible? This is why we celebrate this. And so let's read this passage again, but through the lens of understanding the Old Testament system. Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place. What's the most holy place? It's the holy of holies. It's the presence of the holy God. He's saying we have confidence to enter into the presence of God by what? By the blood of goats, By the blood of bulls? No, no, no. By the blood of Jesus. 
We can now enter, we can have restored relationship with God by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that was that is his body. Saying Jesus is the curtain. Jesus is the way to enter into. He is the one who is ripped open so we can enter this presence of this holy God. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, again, all of this is pointing to that symbolism. Who's the great high priest? It was the mediator between Israel and God. Who's our great high priest now? It's Jesus. You can have relationship with your father because of Jesus. He's a great high priest over the house of God. That word house, it's a, it's a Greek translation of the Old Testament word. You know what the Old Testament word was? Tabernacle. He is the great high priest over the tabernacle. He is the curtain in which we pass through. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. You guys, Jesus is the curtain. and He is our passage way into the presence of God. He is the pure and blameless sacrifice sprinkling our hearts clean. Jesus is the water basin, basin, washing us with pure water. He is our high priest, ushering us into the celebration of atonement. All of this, it's pointing to Jesus. He is the light of the world. He is the bread of life. You read through this Old Testament system of sacrifice, it's pointing us to our need of a savior. And Jesus shows up at the advent, at the arrival, and says, I'm the way. This rocks me. And it rocks me because if I'm honest, I don't always understand God's holiness. I don't understand his righteousness. Like I wanna wear the shirt that says Jesus is my homeboy, right? And in one sense you're like, man, I'm glad we have that relational connection. But when you start to understand God's holiness, that he is utterly unlike anything else, that he's so far removed, that he is so perfect, that he's so righteous, that he's so glorious, that he is holy. And you think, if I come into his presence, I should die instantly. And yet Jesus made a way. This is the curse that is broken, that Jesus came to make a way. So what do we do with this? And let me just respond in three ways. First, would you worship God for his holiness? It says, enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. Man, just sit and dwell on God's holiness, how purely he is God. Why do we come to church? Like, do we come so we can have like lobby conversations and drink coffee and have donuts? Honestly, like you can do that at Starbucks. You know what I'm saying? You know why we gather as a church? Because we get to worship a holy God. We get to enter into his presence with his people and lift his name high. And so enter the most holy place and worship and experience his holy presence. His love that has no end. His grace 
that we do not deserve. His sovereign hand to rule and reign. His power to create and give life. His might to do miracles. Man, worship him. He is so worthy of your worship. This is why we sing the old Christmas hymn, O come, let us adore him. Man, would we just gather around and worship Jesus for his greatness and his worthiness and, and his might. Second, uh, draw near with confidence. Draw near with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Man, you can confidently enter into the presence of God because of Jesus. There, there's nothing that keeps you from his presence. Man, we just got done learning about drawing near to a God is no light thing. It is no light thing to enter into his holy presence. But we have that kind of access in Christ. You know why? Because in Christ, he has adopted us as sons. I remember when I was a kid and I was at this camp called Wagon Train. And they were doing these skits and they are trying to teach us about prayer. Um, and they are trying to teach us about the importance of not sinning because then it cuts off your connection with God, and they were doing this skit with this like telephone, and like you'd sin, and then there's static on the line, and like God can't quite hear you. And my little seven-year-old mind was like, oh, I need to stop sinning because I want God to hear me. Can I just tell you, like that is utter heresy. <laughs> they meant good, but they did no good. Because we walk in, and so many of us were like, I, I don't, I don't know if I can go to church today. Like some of you guys sinned this morning. Some of you guys sinned on the, some of you guys have sinned since you've come here. Can I tell you something? Jesus has paid for it. And because of the blood of Jesus, you can enter into the presence of a holy God. And he now views us as his children. And so draw near with confidence and with boldness. Tim Keller put it like this, and it just sticks with me. I think about it all the time. The only person who dares wake up a king at three o'clock in the morning for a glass of water is a child. We have that kind of access. That is, that is the access we have with God because of Jesus. This word, draw near, it's used seven times in the letter to the Hebrews. It's the primary theme of the whole book is that we can actually draw near to God. In chapter four, it says, with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we could receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And so let nothing keep you from entering the presence of a holy and righteous God. Let nothing keep you from experiencing his glory and his holiness and his grace and his peace and his love, but draw near with confidence to a holy and righteous God, with sincerity, meaning authentically, and assurance that you will not drop dead in that moment, but you are covered by the blood of Christ and allow your guilt to be washed away. And so if he is holy and we worship him for his holiness and we have full access as his children, then we can actually be unwavering in our hope. And whatever you are facing, whatever you are battling, whatever weight you carry, man, would you be unwavering in your hope? 
because God is holy and you can come to him. Man, this has been a heavy week. I've had friends who've lost fathers this week. I've had friends who have rushed their child to the hospital thinking they're gonna lose him. I've had friends call me because their marriage is falling apart. You know what we do with this stuff? We bring it to a God who draws near. One who cannot do evil and do wrong. And the reason we can do that is because in Jesus, we can be his children and we have that full access to him. So could you just do me a favor? Would you just close your eyes? Man, if you are willing, would you just hold your hands out in front of you? What is heavy on your heart? What about your marriage is weighing you down right now? What, what relationship feels broken and weighty? What fears do you have? Listen to me. Bring them to God. Bring them to your Savior who wants to heal you. It says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. For he who promised is faithful. He's holy and he's righteous and he's glorious and he's good and he's mighty. Bring it to him like a child knocking on the door of your father in the middle of the night because you're thirsty and you know with full assurance and confidence you can enter into his presence. This is who God is. Lord, we bring these things to you. They are heavy on our hearts. They are heavy on our minds. We feel burdened by them. But you love us, and you are holy, and you are righteous. And so, Lord, the heaviness on the hearts in this room, would you take these burdens from us? Listen to me, if if you're in this room right now, And as I talk about entering into the presence of God and having full access and God's holiness, it just feels so overwhelming to you, but you want it desperately. You can have relationship with God right here and right now. Just right where you're at, I I just want you to pray. Lord, you are holy and righteous and good. And I acknowledge that I, my sin, it has created a separation, a barrier, a curse, upon our relationship. But I know that through Jesus, he has made a way. And so I believe that he lived. I believe that he died paying for my sins, and I believe that he rose again conquering death. And I want to walk in newness of life and surrender to his lordship. I pray this in your name. Listen, if you prayed that prayer right now, Jesus, he sees you and hears you. And he is with you. And he wants to fill you with his presence. And he wants to take all your sin. And so, Lord, would we be a people who constantly are coming back to your presence and walking in your glory and experiencing your holiness. We pray this in your name.